It's very good to be with you to speak on this program. My wife asked me, why in the world do they put you on before daylight every morning? And I told her it was because they couldn't get anybody else to take that spot. I rejoice that you are here. Some of you are here possibly because you felt absolutely obligated to come. Dr. Whittle and Dr. West, who worked for Alabama Christian College, they had no choice in the matter. I feel that the rest of you did have. A few years ago, in fact about three years ago, Fried Hardeman College had a dinner in Boonville, Mississippi, and I was visiting there at that time. I thought that it would be good to go to the dinner, even though I was connected with Alabama Christian. And they were down there raising money. My brother Claude Gardner and Milton Sewell did a good job in presenting their case. They asked me to lead the closing prayer. They said that I prayed this. Father, we thank thee for all of the material blessings granted unto us. And we pray for help us to realize the importance of Christian education. And we pray that every elder present this night will think seriously about what has been said and that these elders will go home, that they will not wait until next Lord's Day. But tomorrow night they'll call a very important meeting to talk about the importance of supporting Christian education, and that they'll make a liberal donation to Christian education, and that they'll make their check payable to Alabama Christian College. I personally feel this is a wonderful audience for 7.30. Personally, I didn't think we'd have very many at this time. A friend asked me, will there be many there to hear you? I said, yes, I have a few friends that'll come. But this teaches me to stop jumping to conclusions. Really, I think that's what's wrong with the world. I think that's what's wrong with the church, people jumping to conclusions. I heard about this big, fat lady that wanted to go to the 15th store. She ran to the elevator. The thing was full. She kept pushing the button. The door opened. The people just swelled out. She was determined to get in. She didn't go in face forward. She just backed in, pushed them against the wall. And when the door shut, she just turned and slapped the fire of a man standing by her. The next floor, she got off and gave that man a dirty look. That man said, what in the world was wrong with that lady? She slapped the fire out of me. And they looked around, this little five-year-old boy standing there. He said, when she got into this elevator, she pushed up against me and was smothering me, and I bit her. that story is, don't jump to conclusions. <laughs> the Church of Jesus Christ is the most glorious institution in all the world. All institutions organized for the elevation of man must stand back aghast in the hour of death, unable to bridge the chasm. Here the Church of our Lord comes to the rescue. 
erects her banner on the other side of the grave, and on this banner is written in letters of gold, cross over through me. Hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin, the prophets of God wrote about the church. They preached about the church. They prophesied about the church. Moses, before he laid down his scepter, pointed to the coming Messiah and spoke of him as one like unto himself, a prophet, a ruler, a lawgiver, and a mediator. Daniel, standing among the ruins of ancient empires, with a horoscope of time in his hand, looked down through the ages and said, that in the days of these kings, the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom, it shall break into pieces all other kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Years later, John the Baptist descended on this sin-cursed world with a sword in one hand and a torch in the other. And the theme of his preaching was, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is the kingdom that the prophets have been writing about, preaching about, and prophesying about. John said that kingdom is at hand. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 13, a short time after John the Baptist spoke these words, we read that when Jesus Christ came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say I, the Son of Man, am? They answered him, saying, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, some Jeremiah, others say thou art one of the prophets. But he said unto them, But who say ye that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied to Peter and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Therefore I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God in his divine wisdom planned and worked for 4,000 years to bring the church of Jesus Christ into existence. The church of our Lord has a perfect founder, foundation, and head. He is Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace and the Priest of the Most High God. Jesus Christ proved himself to be the Son of God by going with a pale monarch of death into the silent darkness of the grave. And while there he broke his crown, took his keys, came the monster of death to his chariot wheels, and rode aloft to heaven and shouted as he went through the air, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave in my hands. Jesus Christ died to purchase the church that the church might in turn evangelize the world. We need to impress upon the minds of the people. We need to impress upon the minds of God's people the urgent need of evangelizing the world. Seemingly the church, since the Restoration Movement, 
has never felt keenly this responsibility. We need much teaching about evangelization and preaching the gospel to a lost world. Where men were once in a fog of confusion due to sectarian bitterness and strife, man is in a denser fog today produced by theories, philosophies, and confusions confounded, hundreds of cults, social uplift schemes, rabid atheistic propaganda thrust themselves upon the scene until countless thousands of people despair of ever learning the truth. And we need to recognize the fact this day that there are millions of people who are now indifferent to Christ and the church who would gladly render obedience unto it if we would make these truths known to these people. But the truth about it is, we are not making these truths known. With the urgent need of evangelization, and with over 95% of the world's population having never even had an opportunity to hear the truth concerning the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we cannot, we must not, let lines of bitterness become so strong among us that we're divided into sectarian camps so antagonistic to each other that the church of our Lord stands stagnant and the name of Jesus Christ is put to shame. People in the religious world are sick and tired of hearing preachers quote from philosophers instead of hearing preachers quote from the apostles. People in all religious bodies are sick and tired of hearing preachers read and quote from newspapers and magazines and giving book reviews instead of quoting from the New Testament. We must recognize the fact that a social gospel will not save the world. We must preach the gospel, the same gospel, in this 20th century that they preached during the first century. And if we would use the methods, the patterns that they used during the first century, we could do in this 20th century what they did during the first century. And one of the reasons we're not doing in the 20th century what they did in the first century, that some of the vital things in their lives are lacking in our lives. For instance, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, beginning with verse 1, Moreover, brethren, the gospel that I preach unto you, which you have received, wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory the things I preached unto you. For I preached unto you, first of all, that how Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, how he was buried, and how he was raised again the third day, according to the Scripture. Now, when Paul preached the gospel at Corinth, he preached the death the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He emphasized these things. These are the things that must be emphasized today. The same gospel that saved people during the first century is the gospel that saves people today. During the first century, a ceremonial gospel could not save people. 
in this 20th century, a ceremonial gospel cannot save people. An individual can live to be as old as Methuselah, obey every ceremonial law ever written by man, obey them to perfection. But if this is as near as that individual ever comes to obeying God, he would live and die without ever having rendered obedience unto the gospel. It's for this reason that an ethical gospel will not save man. It's for this reason that a moral gospel will not save man. All of these things are good. Just like an individual was telling me about a, a preacher the other day. He says, Brother Black, he preaches truth. He preaches truth. But let me tell you something. A man can preach truth all of his life, and people never learn what to do to obey God. It takes the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Why, many of these denominational preachers that I hear on TV and radio, well, I hear them many times when 99% of everything they say is truth. I've heard them when everything they said was true. I've heard them preach about God and everything they said about God was true. I've heard them preach about inspiration. Everything they say about inspiration is true. It takes more than preaching truth to save people. It takes the whole truth. And during the first century, that's what they preached. So in this age, when many are preaching a socialistic gospel, others a moral gospel, some an ethical gospel, we must preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must present Jesus Christ to people with the blood coursing from his tender brow, dripping from his hands and his feet, gushing from his side, telling us that the blood of all the animals of the world can never take away the sins of mankind, that he can only have his sins forgiven through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans, the 10th chapter, beginning with verse 13, we read these words, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, this is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible because it says, whosoever. If this verse had said, blessed are the black people that call upon the Lord, this would have excluded the white. If it had said, blessed are the white people that call upon the Lord, this would have excluded the black people. If it had said, blessed are the rich people that call upon the Lord, it would have excluded the poor. If it had said, blessed are the poor, it would have excluded the rich. But it says, whosoever. And that includes VP Black. And that includes every man on the face of God's earth who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But follow Paul's argument. He asked, how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? Well, they can't. I can understand that. You can understand that. It's foolish to talk about people calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or believing on Christ when they've never heard of him. Listen, how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? Then he asked, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? For it is as, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. For they have not all obeyed the gospel. For as Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? Well, someone might ask, Brother Black, why aren't we disturbed when we read verses like this? Well, I want to state to you as kindly as I know how that in my years of preaching the gospel and in dealing with my brethren and many times with my preacher brethren and elders and deacons and Bible school teachers, I've learned that the people in the church of Christ are just as uncanny as any religious people on God's earth when there's some verse in the Bible they don't want to believe. Well, of course we get around these things. Somebody says, how can we read that and sleep at night? 
This place is a responsibility upon us. Jesus Christ said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They did it during the first century. We're not doing it. Over 95% of the world population never heard this truth. Are we disturbed about it? Well, somebody says, how can we study this in a Bible class and not get upset? Well, let us picture a little Bible class, and I'll tell you how we do it. So we read these verses. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And so a brother just simply says, I don't understand that. Now, you can say that in the Church of Christ all your life and get by with it. Just sit in the Bible class and say, I don't believe it. But I'll tell you something you can't, you can't say, or I don't understand it. But suppose an individual should sit in the Bible class and these verses are read, and he should say, I don't believe a word of that. Why, the elders would discipline that man. You can't say that in the church. You can't sit in the Bible class and say, I don't believe that. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can sit there and say, I don't understand it for a lifetime. And many instances, what we mean, we really don't believe it. If we really believe Romans, the 10th chapter, beginning with verse 13, brother, we'd do a better job of evangelizing the world. We would not spend so much time arguing, debating, and splitting hairs among ourselves. We don't seem to be disturbed over the fact that people are lost. We don't seem to be disturbed over the fact that we're not doing what the Lord tells us to do. Wouldn't it be wonderful to attend a lectureship and where at the open forum the people ask questions about evangelizing the world? No, we overlook these weightier matters. We look, overlook these important things and spend most of our time splitting hairs over how to do it. Well, why don't we just get busy and do it? We have the wealth in the Lord's church to evangelize the world. We have ministers to evangelize the world. We have the modern communication to evangelize the world. And it's going to be a serious thing when we go to the judgment having not done it. Every Sunday school teacher in the Church of Christ could go to the chalkboard next Lord's Day and he could write these words, Jesus Christ said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then he could write under that, and we are not going to do it. Now, what would you think about that? What would you think next Lord's Day if the preacher just went to the chalkboard, he writes before the audience, Jesus Christ said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Then he writes under it, we are not going to do it. We're not until we change our attitudes. Now, does this disturb you? I want you to listen to me carefully, and I, and I hope every preacher and elder in this audience will think about this when you go home. Just suppose that someone told you, and this person is telling you the truth, Tonight, they're going to drop an atom bomb on the town where you live. Every person in this town will die tonight. Um, if he doesn't get out, he's going to die. Now, notice what you do. You pack your suitcase, and you ease out of town. Take maybe your immediate family with you. You don't tell these poor people about it. 
And in just a few hours, they're going to die. And you had an opportunity to deliver those people, and you didn't do it. Do you mean to tell me that this man would not have a conscience that stricken the rest of his life? Someone says, what's the parallel? Let me tell you something, my friends. Just as surely as we're here this morning, one day that mighty angel of God is going to cleave the heaven as lightning track. He's going to put one foot upon the troubled sea. He's going to put the other upon the quaking earth. He's going to lift that hand toward heaven and swear by the judge of the quick and the dead that time shall be no more. And those people who never obeyed the gospel are going to be lost in a devil's hell. And you and I know that. We've obeyed the gospel and we're not telling them about it. It's just far more serious than most of us have ever realized. We pack our suitcases and leave town and don't tell the other people about it. We're going to stand in the judgment. And we teach and preach all over this country that people must obey the gospel to be saved. And yet we know, all of us this day know that we've done a poor job in evangelizing the world. It's not that we can't do it. The church of Christ people are just as rich as any people on the face of God's earth. We just haven't used these riches to the glory of God. Now, when Paul wrote this epistle, the ancient Roman virtue, the admirable simplicity, and unconquerable courage of old Rome had died away, and so had their old religion. Vice and corruption were accelerated, accelerated on every hand. But when the gospel of Jesus Christ reached these people, it brought about a tremendous change in their lives. And that's what the gospel does today to people. It brings about a change in their lives. It changed their individual, social, and state life. Nations, even this day, where the gospel of Jesus Christ has not been preached, are still found practicing self-torment, devil worship, human sacrifice, and the slaughter of wives. They practice constant war, vendetta, slavery, polygamy, degradation of women, superstition of priestcraft and witchcraft. But when the gospel of Jesus Christ reaches them, it sheds light and ends all fears, and that's what the gospel would do today. And our responsibility is to carry the gospel to the whole world. I do not know to what degree, but I'm just as convinced as in your midst I stand that on that awful day of judgment that you and I are going to be held responsible for those people who've never had an opportunity to hear the gospel. I know that's true because Jesus Christ said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go therefore and teach all nations, and I repeat, we have the wealth to do it, we have ministry to do it, we have the modern communication to do it, and we're not doing it, and we are going to be held responsible. And that individual that thinks that he can believe on Christ and obey the gospel and eat the Lord's Supper and live a selfish life is one of the worst deceived people on the face of God's earth. There isn't anything selfish about Christianity. This gospel that we're to carry to this whole world reports on the wonderful love of God. It's a wonderful message that we're to carry to the world. It's a sweet message that we're to carry to the world. It's the most wonderful message in all the world that we're to carry. In John 3, 16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here we have a volume and a verse, an ocean and a dewdrop, a hemisphere of light and a solitary luminary that God would so love the world that He would give His Son to die that man might be saved. 
the greatest love story ever known to mortal man is the tremendous love that God had for Adam's lost, ruined, and reckoned race. So it's a beautiful story that we're to carry to the world. We're to tell people how much God loved them. We're to tell them that God so loved them that he gave his son to die that they might be saved. This gospel that we're to carry to the world is a report. A report that's divine in its origin, unique in its character, authentic in its facts, authoritative in its statements, and marvelous in its declarations. This gospel that we're to carry to the whole world is a report on the life of Christ. The life of Christ, which the gospel makes known, has no parallel in the history of races. Unique in birth, he was unique all through. If just one link in that chain can be found faulty, then the whole chain would be faulty. Whatever link has been found to be a perfect link, his whole life wondrously consistent, marvelous, unrivaled by anyone in any age of the world. Oh, he's the greatest the world has ever known. For more than 1,900 years, the life of Jesus Christ has stirred humanity to its very core. In the philosophy, he's still the mightiest enigma. In the universe, he's still the highest attraction. In the world, he's still the absolute ruler. This report that we're to carry to the world is a report on the wonderful provisions in Christ Jesus. Provisions of mercy and merit. Mercy to avert the penal blow, to cancel the enormous guilt, to reinstate the acquitted rebel in God's eternal favor. Enough for one, enough for all, enough forevermore. So full it can never be diminished. So universal that none is outside of his possible benediction. That's the provision that's in Christ Jesus, that where this man has been living in rebellion and sin and witchcraft and hatred, that he can obey the gospel, have his sins washed away in the blood of Christ, and there have the mercy and the goodness and the forgiveness of God extended to him. That's the report that we're to carry to the world. And God wants every creature on the face of this earth to hear that report. And he has made us the ambassadors. He has made us the messengers to carry this gospel to the whole world. This gospel that we're to report to the world eclipses all others and stands out with a singularity at once unprecedented and divine, reporting as reveals and revealing as reports. This gospel that we're to care to the whole world reports the most wonderful results. Obedient to the imperial summons of the Master to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, those apostles and their co-laborers embarked on their sublime and hazardous mission Beginning at Jerusalem, they sailed to regions beyond and preached Jesus Christ. And in one generation, the gospel had been preached all over the Roman Empire and even in the ranks of Caesar's household. Why? Because they felt the imperative call of duty. Viewed in what light you may, a remedy, a revelation, a philosophy, or history is still the most wonderful message that mortal man has ever known. And our duty and our responsibility is to carry this message to the whole world. This God has always wanted people to hear his message, even in Old Testament days. <clears throat> Proverbs, the 11th chapter and verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. And Daniel, the 12th chapter and verse 3, they 
that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn people from darkness to light shall shine as the brightness of the stars forever and forever. <clears throat> we live in a world of sin and sinners. Our duty in this life is to rescue those who are lost. The early Christians felt keenly this responsibility. Human nature has not changed very much. The reason those people during the first century carried the gospel to all the people was because they felt the imperative call of duty. The reason we are not doing it, we do not feel the imperative call of duty. And we will never do it until we feel the imperative call of duty. We live in an age of the world when we read of huge armies marching in the din of noise and the cloud of smoke, blood flows, and indescribable misery follows. We're living in an age when we read of the strong overcoming the weak and wreaking their passions upon them. We're living in an age when countless millions of people have made themselves believe that might makes right. Go to United Nations, and there you hear only wrangling, disputing, and arguing speeches of the bitterest sort. And the only remedy for this sin-sick world is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the task, and listen to me carefully, the task assigned to the church of our Lord in the work of evangelization, evangelization is no light task. It is the most important work of the Lord's church. There isn't anything more important than evangelizing the world. And when we, in our local programs, present any program that preempts evangelization, we don't properly understand the teaching of the Bible, or either we don't regard or respect it. There isn't anything more important than evangelizing the world. Well, someone might ask, if, if it's all that important, Brother Black, why aren't we evangelizing the world? Well... I think we do not begin soon enough. It is my sincere conviction that the only way we'll ever evangelize this world, and we can, I'm just as convinced that we can evangelize the world as I'm standing here. There's no question about it. We can do it. Somebody says, when are we going to do it? When we start down in the kindergarten department and teach those little children that the primary work of the Lord's church is to evangelize the world and then through the first grade and then through the sixth grade and through the ninth grade and through the twelfth grade and all their lives they've heard that the most important work of the Lord's church is evangelization and then when they become adults and they marry and become elders and deacons in the Lord's church they won't spend the business meeting hour talking about frivolous things They'll spend that time talking about how are we going to evangelize the world. Let me ask you something. What would it do to you if you walked in the business meeting next Lord's Day and one of the elders or the preacher would say, Brethren, there's something bothering me. I couldn't sleep last night. Over 95% of the world has never heard the gospel. I want us to spend this hour talking about evangelizing the world. What would it do to you? I guess it shocked the life out of you. 
Usually we don't spend our business meetings like that, do we? And yet we wonder why the world is not evangelized. I wish, oh, if I could just know I had the ability this morning to impress upon your mind the importance of preaching the gospel and evangelizing the world, so much of this fussing, debating, and splitting hairs and arguing would be done away with because we would be so busy evangelizing the world. Somebody says, how are we going to do it? Let's just get busy and do it. You know, it bothers me that we can sleep soundly, never disturbs us seemingly, over just about every person in the world lost, headed for devil's hell. And yet we spend so much time on fellow's things. Oh, we hear much about theories. Theories of inspiration. Theories of atonement. Theories of the Lord's Supper. Theories of the Spirit. Theories of the indwelling Spirit. All oh, the theories that we have in church. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just simply believe God's Word and get busy and do it? Wouldn't that be wonderful if we just go out and say we're going to evangelize the world? They did it during the first century. And that same responsibility is resting up on us today. And if we don't do it, we're not pleasing God. Just as sure as you live, the church of Jesus Christ was not established to amuse the world. It was established to save the world, not to mock the world, but to redeem the world. And the church of Jesus Christ is not a social club. It is a spiritual institution which costs the last drop of blood that flowed from the veins of the Son of God. And when we learn to love and respect the church like that, we're going to have an a strong desire, almost an insatiable desire to tell other people about this. And when our pulpits become occupied with preachers who are really concerned about the lost, vitally concerned I'm talking about, and who have a passion for lost souls, this is going to be impressed upon the minds of the people just as sure as you live. World evangelization in the first century began with only 12 men. The first day it grew to about 3,000. And in a generation, the gospel was made known to the whole world. The mission of the Lord's church is to preach the gospel to the whole world, to rescue people from a sin of darkness, that they may be translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That's our mission. That's our aim. That's our purpose. And when we lose sight of that, we have our values all mixed up. Christianity is essentially a missionary system. And if I were going to say there's one thing I want you to remember, what I've said this morning, Christianity is essentially a missionary system. That's what Christianity is. One congregation located in Antioch and Syria in the long ago, listen to it, sent out a missionary in the person of the Apostle Paul. He went on one journey, the second journey, the third journey. And as a result of these missionary journeys of Paul and those who were his co-laborers, churches were established in Perga, and, and Perga, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, and many other congregations. And then... These congregations became radiating centers for the gospel. In First Thessalonians, the first chapter and verse 8, Paul said, For from you 
sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith to God would spread abroad. Oh, my. those people knew the church was at Thessalonica because Thessalonica had become a radiating center for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 19, chapter and verse 10, Paul said, And this continued by the space of two years, so that all that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This was true because these people felt keenly the responsibility of evangelizing the world. Now, that's my introduction. Tomorrow I'll begin at that point. Thank you.